Welcome to MLR Kickoff, episode 49, with your hosts, Dan Power and Pete Steinberg. A very warm welcome, folks. Rugby fans everywhere, Dan Power with you for this edition of MLR Kickoff, joined by my co-commentator and dear friend, Pete Steinberg. And Pete, this week it is aloha, my friend. Mahalo. How are you doing out in the great state of Hawaii? I am doing well. I'm sitting on the balcony. Um of my uh, um, little apartment. Uh, I'm in one of these Marriott vacation clubs watching the sun go down. So my, my goal, Dan, is to let's, uh, let's, let's get through this show so I can draw my wife and daughter for the first sunset in Hawaii. That's my goal. I'll just pull back the curtain for the folks tuning in. Uh, little in Pete Steinberg's world is about 3,500 square feet on the beach there in Hawaii. So uh, he is in his little apartment in Hawaii. We will we'll rip in, Pete, because it's a great show. We've got this one. San Diego Legion, uh, runners-up in 2019. They were an absolute tearaway during the year. Finished the league uh, season on top of the table and hosted the final and as we all know now came up short to the Seattle Seawolves so we will jump in to the year that was Pete you got to sit down with Rob Holy. I know you two have a great relationship that is a great listen so stay tuned for that and then we'll take a look at 2020 for San Diego and as everyone in the league knows and all the fans tuning in they have been very busy this offseason so Pete let's talk 2019 San Diego they win 12 games finish on top of the table with 12 wins one draw three losses the best uh, defensive team by far in the league but wasn't enough in the final for them. Let's get some of the statistics from 2019 first, Pete. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was, a, yeah, first of all, I, I, I've always enjoyed um, watching Rob Hoagley teams. They, they play with a great structure. They have systems. You can see what they're trying to accomplish. And um, one of the things that San Diego did um, very, very well is they were probably the best team without the ball. Right, so they um, they ended up being number two in territory, and um, that was uh, um, you know because they actually had Joe Peterson, and he would he would play a territorial game. I mean, he would look up, and if you talk to Rob Hoadley, he would tell you, "Well, we don't really want to play a kicking game; we just attack space." But they obviously saw um, a lot of space, so they they played in you know as as coaches we would say they played the game in the right part of the field. You could see if they were in their own half. They were looking to exit and they were fine running it, but most of the time they were kicking it. And so they ended up being only number six in ball carriers. And ball, ball carriers is a really interesting, um, for me, uh, measure because it's a really good measure of how um, active someone is on attack. So um, again, number two in territory, number six in ball carries, that tells you that they're playing a territorial game. But man, were they amazing on defense. So they were the number one in dominant tackles by such a long way, Dan. So they had 282 dominant tackles. And the next team was Houston at 213. So they had 70 more tackles, dominant tackles in a season. I mean, that's, you know, five extra dominant tackles per game. That's how amazing that was. And that led them to being number two in turnovers. And they were one of the best teams. And you'll hear Rob Hoadley and I talk about this in transition. So when they got the ball, they tried to score immediately and they did that very well. Yeah, they did. I'm looking at one of the things that stood out for me was the points differential and they were significantly better than everyone else in the league. They finished with plus 161. The nearest to them were the Toronto Arrows at plus 110. So 51 points better. Yet when you look at their attacking, they were only the fifth best attacking side in terms of points for. So actually fourth best, I apologize. Seattle, Toronto, and New Orleans all had more points than San Diego. So for them to finish that just is a testament to Rob Holdy, that entire staff, and the players too, to have such a good differential when usually you see that with a team that can rack up a lot of points and defend reasonably well. But theirs was all based on just that phenomenal defense that we saw down there at um, Torero Stadium throughout the year, Pete. I think that's right. And they also had some, you know, I think to, to win a championship, you have to have some of the best players in their position in the league. And I think that, you know, they, they came close. But remember, I mean, in, in the postseason, Dan, I mean, they scored on the last play of the game, a, a sideline conversion by Joe Peterson got them past Rooney which, you know, going into that game where Rooney had to travel across the country, 
I mean, that was a great job by New York to, you know, to put them under pressure and to really make San Diego struggle. And it was, again, a bounce of the ball that had them lose it against Seattle. So I think that, you know, I, 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 I would say that they, during the regular season, they really, really played, um, you know, they were head and shoulders above everyone else. But in the postseason, I think teams were able to come in and the better teams were able to come in and, come in and game plan for them. And I think when they were able to game plan for them, they weren't able to play the game they wanted to play. They weren't able to play at the speed that they wanted to play. And of course, they had penalty issues. They, they, they had penalty issues consistently, and that was um, a real problem for them. And they also had some issues with injury too, uh, especially in the outside backs in that run home. And that may have affected their ability to score points. I know Dylan Audsley missed most of the year. Mike Teo missed a good chunk of the year as well. So two attacking weapons there. Uh, one of my favorite players, Ryan Mattias, also spent some time on the sideline with injury. So certainly uh, the injury bug wasn't uh, uh, immune to the San Diego Legion. But for me, I'm going to go through some players that stood out in 2019. I'll ask the same of you. I'll give you a chance to think about it before we jump into the Rob Hoadley and do. Good friend of mine, Lou Stanfield, um, thought he was done, along with a lot of other people, and he kind of nudged me in do the you mean, uh, do, you mean, do you mean a lot of other people thought he was done or a lot of other people thought they were done and kept playing? Are you saying that you thought Lou was done? I, th- I thought he was done playing, yeah. I really did. Once he retired at 2015 World Cup, I thought that was kind of it, and... Not, I didn't think that he was done, like as in as a human being, but uh, I took his word that he's <laughs> done playing rugby. So it was kind of a shock. He, he called me in the off season and said, "You know, I want to, I want to go, I want to, I want to play." And we kind of talked back and forth about the pros and cons of what that looks like. And now he's got a family, and you know, Pete, you've got a family, and it changes your outlook on everything. And I, I honestly thought Pete was going to end up in New York because uh, we played together at Nyack. We have a good relationship with Tolks. I said, give Tolks a call. It could be a flying fly out opportunity for you there. And uh, next thing you know, he's at San Diego. And he had a great year. Great year down he, there. He really did. I mean, I thought I, I thought him and, and Nasa Gange were like two these two physical players along with Paddy Ryan. I mean, they were like, when we look at the dominant tackles, it was that tight five that were really destroying teams that were running in the middle. Yeah, I mean, there was Paddy. just no space there. When they were able to get up the line, it was amazing. Paddy Ryan, what a signing he was. He was right in the mix for player of the year. He was the forward of the year. And Joe Peterson, uh, you want to talk about the guys uh, over 30 who are still contributing. Joe Peterson, and from talking to some of the players down in San Diego, his contributions off the playing field far exceeded what he did on the playing field in terms of his leadership, his mentorship for the young players, how to be a professional. And it's more, as you know, it's more than just checking your bank account once a month and there's money that's gone in there. It's just the little things and the little changes you can make in your life off the field, away from rugby that make you truly professional. And I think Joe went a long way in showing some of these young guys just what it takes to actually be successful at professional rugby. And no surprise, San Diego have such a strong year with him being there from the start all the way through. Um, He came in late in year one, but having that full season there, he was uh, he was absolutely outstanding, and JP Duplessis. We we could go all day, but those three. I'll just uh, not to dis, uh, disrespect JP Duplessis because he was an absolute monster. But those three for me really stood out for San Diego in 2019. Yeah, and I think those are the three players that are probably the best in their position. I mean, um, as as we'll hear from from Rob, he'll talk about Paddy Ryan. I mean, I said to him, I'm not sure there's anyone that's enjoyed the game as much as I've seen him enjoy it, and. You know, he talked about the mindset and, and it looks like he's not coming back for 2020. And so, you know, it's not just about him as an individual player, but he turned around that scrum. Let's not forget, uh, you know, in um, 2018, all the penalty tries they gave away and, and Paddy Ryan came in and, 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 you know, and I'm sure Lou too came in and built a different mindset of that scrum. And I think that if there's one area... You know, don't really want to get into next year yet, but you know their scrum was solid. They're going to have to, um, you know, do some things to replace Paddy Ryan. But but one of the areas they struggled in was was the lineout. They weren't they weren't as strong as they could have been in the lineout. And I think that's one of the areas in those games that you know with penalties and things like that that, that can really come back to hurt. Yeah, I absolutely agree there. But we will. Uh, I'm going to defer to the man himself. I'm going to throw now to your interview with Rob Hoadley, who was our coach of the year in 2019 as he 
took San Diego all the way to the home final. Came up a little short, but it is a fantastic listen. So without further ado, folks, here is Pete Steinberg with San Diego Legion head coach, Rob Hoadley. Well, thank you, Rob Hoadley, for joining us today. Um, I think, is, was today your first day of preseason, or Monday was your first day of preseason? Second day, yeah. yeah. We had the lads in uh, yesterday uh, for the first day back. So, yeah, great to make a start. So let's talk a little bit about your off-season. Um, the Rugby World Cup was going on for six weeks. Um, did you get a chance to watch any of it? Like, it, you know, is that something that you follow in the off-season? Yeah, I mean, it was almost yeah. We were sort of uh, fans, I think, for the uh, for the uh, for the summer, which was really nice. Uh, it was a nice opportunity whilst we were whilst we were building our plans through the season, uh, through the off season, uh, to also uh, you know get caught up in the you know the excitement and the hype of the World Cup and uh, the standard of play. I think uh, you know everyone got caught up in it, and uh, for us, it was great to uh, you know watch a lot of the games, study a lot of what. It, what the top teams are doing uh, and see if there's anything that we can uh, apply to our style as well. And, and what did you see in the World Cup that you thought was important, like in terms of, you know, what made teams successful in 2019? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, if you look at the two big performances of the World Cup, it's obviously the England uh, win against New Zealand. Uh, and then the same thing happened to England when they came up against South Africa. And uh, obviously the huge influence of the defence uh, and then the set piece as well. I mean, I know there's so much more to it than that. Uh, but also, uh, the, 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 the physical standards set by the top teams. I mean, it's, it's, uh, at times, it's like almost like a different sport. You know, we've got a long way to catch up with that. Um, but I think that has to be the foundation of everything you do to, to create those physical standards. And then also uh, to create create scenarios where you're, you're consistently playing under pressure and problem solving. Uh, and that's what the best teams did uh, during the World Cup. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was interesting that in, in the, um, the England-New Zealand game, New Zealand didn't really know how to deal with the challenges that they were being put under by England. Yeah. And then exactly the same thing happened with when South Africa, that England weren't able to solve the problems. Um, you know, I think Eddie Jones probably would look back and be like, maybe I should have made the change at fly half and played a little yeah. more territory. But that idea of problem solving is, I think, really, really interesting. And you saw teams who thought that they had an advantage and when they didn't, struggled to really adjust. Yeah, absolutely. And going into the final, we would have said that was the absolute strength of England. That's the way they trained. That's the way they prepared. And, you know, everyone's sitting back, you know, Probably most people were predicting, a lot of people after that New Zealand game were predicting England would, would go on to win the final. Um, and South Africa had their plan. Rassi had them ready. The, the country was behind them. I think the, the belief in that team was absolutely incredible, the country behind them. Uh, and they did come up with a game plan that England, uh, England couldn't adapt to. Uh, and, they, and you could see England started playing out of their system and playing from deep. Uh, uh, and forcing things a little and then not taking their chances. Uh, you know, even when Colby came in and shut the door uh, in the first half when we had a lot of numbers over, the start, over to the left and he, he shut down Courtney Laws. Um, it's those sort of opportunities you've got to take uh, to get a foothold, you know, if you're losing the penalty count and losing the set piece. Uh, and when we missed that opportunity, I, I just think, uh, you know, we couldn't find another answer from there. And what do you think about the U.S. performance at the World Cup? I mean, you 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 had some players on the on the squad. What you know? How did you think Gary Gold's squad did? Well, firstly, you know, it's, it's tremendously disappointing that we didn't get a, at least a win. Uh, and I say that because we we were all so excited by the progress that we made in the four years between the World Cups. And I and I don't think it takes away from the progress we made. I think Gary and his staff have done, and the players have done a fantastic job. Uh, and it's, been, it's just been so great to see that progress. Uh, obviously, the France game was you know, a big performance where we're hanging in there and going toe-to-toe. -to -toe. Uh, and the encouraging thing to see is that we're not just falling off in the last 20 minutes physically. We can stay in the fight. Obviously, technically, the, the relevance where these teams are slightly ahead of us. Uh, and then I think the Tonga game, we were off, off a short rest. I think the, the hurricane meant that the guys didn't get to train properly. Tonga had had a long rest. Um, so, 
this and those things counted against us. But we, you know, as a USA fan and you know trying to grow the game, you know, I was desperate to to see us get the win. Uh, we didn't do it, so it's sort of a failure on that terms. But we've made huge strides over the four years, um, and now you know. I think listening to the messages coming out of that group, we've got to be fully aware that other teams around the world are also taking these huge strides. You know, we see the new professional league now in South America uh, and no one's standing still. So uh, we need to fully get behind Gary. We need to support him over the next World Cup cycle uh, and we need to do everything we can to, to turn this around and get one or two wins in the next uh, World Cup opportunity. Yeah, it's the reason why coaching sport is such a tough job is there's a difference between performance and outcome, right? And you can play yeah. really, really well and not win, right? And, and in fact, you experienced that in 2019, probably in both ways where you didn't play as well as you could have in the semifinal, mm. but got the bounce of the ball. And then in the final, maybe didn't play as well, you know, played well, but didn't get the bounce of the ball. And it's sort of like one of those different things. Let's talk a little bit about 2019. You know, I thought that um, you had some real clear um, approaches to how you defended and attacked um, in, in 2019. Can you talk a little bit about where that came from? Is that a philosophy that you have, how you leverage your coaching staff, or is that based on the players that you have and, and how they want to play? Yeah, well, yeah, I suppose that's always the question. It's do you, do you have a style uh, that you want to implement or do you have the players that can implement a certain right. style? Like, you know, so, you know, where are you, you going to... Where are you going to start that? And you're, are you going to recruit around playing a certain style, or have you got players there that you need to work with that can implement a style? We have certain restrictions um, in how we've come into the first two seasons, um, as many teams do in terms of like training numbers, uh, squad depth, things like that, availability in preseason, which uh, dictated a little bit about how we had to approach things uh, last season. Um, and I think we tailored it around the strengths that we had. Um, and I think you saw, you've seen in both seasons how the more time we've spent together, the better we've got. Uh, and we've improved vastly in the second half of both seasons. Um, and so for us, uh, you know, obviously don't, without giving away too much, although, uh, you know, <laughs> some people may look at it and say it's not brain surgery but uh listen we're gonna play we're gonna play to the strengths of the guys we've got and then right. obviously now as the league develops you're going to recruit around expanding your style of play as well uh and, and plugging people in that are going to help you uh reinforce your identity and then hopefully expand upon it as well so so you know there are two things that really struck me in terms of your style of play. So the first thing is the the physicality that you brought on defense, sort of one of the league leading teams um, in in positive tackles, the line speed that you had, in particular your tight five and the physicality that they brought is is you know that's obviously partly the players, but there's something that you have to do as the culture and the way that you run practice and probably mostly in the preseason, you know is is I know that it's sort of your background. Yeah. Is that like, how do you create the mindset to be physically dominant on defense? Well, yeah, it's, it's interesting because there's so much that goes into defense, but without a mindset, uh, you know, of physical dominance, it's not really going to count for much. So we just asked our players, how, how do you want to be seen? And uh, everyone's going to say they want to be seen as tough on a rugby field. Uh, but, you, you know, to put it into action week after week is a different thing. So it's very, very, very important in what we do. And that goes into attack and defence. I mean, if you look at our direct runners and our gain line runners, it's the same impact as in defence. But we want to win collisions, we want to win contact. And we know in doing so, both on attack and defence, we're going to create more attacking opportunities for ourselves. Um, and listen, we want to entertain and we want to excite and we want to play wide, but we know what it starts with. Yeah, and I thought the second, you know, I think that's great. I mean, it's sort of ingrained in kind of how you do everything, right? What you talk about, what you do in practice, and that leads to what you do on the game. Yeah. yeah. The other thing I thought that you were like the best team in the league was in this idea of transitions. And we saw at the World Cup how important transitions were. So transitions from um, attack to defense, often when you kicked, you had a great kick chase. Yeah. And then in particular, the transition and the opportunities you created on defense when you turned that ball over. Is that, again, something that you've talked about? Or how do you actually... I mean, I think it was a challenge that the US had at the World Cup. So how do you teach teams to be good in transitions 
well, you, you can ask a simple question. Do you want to score after one phase or do you want to score after 12 phases? It's easier to score off one phase. So let's, uh, let's try and create some opportunities where the defence is uh, less organised and, and have a system that we want to play to space and see the space, uh, wherever that might be. It might be in different areas of the field, uh, but that everyone's uh, switched on to those opportunities and excited um, and sort of thinking a bit ahead of the play as well. So, um, yeah, we take great pride in getting the ball back uh, from defence or, or from kick chase, uh, whatever the scenario may be. And, uh, yeah, as we say, often it's the most disorganised defence and a lot of tries come from that source of possession. So it's a huge source of possession that we need to train. And, and, and that idea of sort of playing the space is, is really, you know, it's really critical to have a field general and you have one of the best in Joe Peterson. Can you talk to us about what he brings both, you know, on the field, but also off the field? Well, Joe just fits the Legion identity, you know. He's a very cool, calm, calculated character. Uh, he, he, can, he sees the pictures and he can slow the game down because he sees things so early. It slows the game down for him. He can put himself in positions where defenders may not be able to get to him. And then at the right time, when it's time to put the foot on the gas, he can go hard at the line. Uh, so... He's obviously got a threat where, you know, you, you've got to defend him around the ruck. He can put people in space with his passing game and he can find kicking space. Um, and then when we change the mindset around, you know, he's a brave, he's a brave man. And you he put is him a brave front man. line defence and sometimes, uh, yeah, we might want to hold him back from himself <laughs> a little bit. But, um, yeah, he's tough. And, he, you know, he leads by example on the front line, you know. And he came, he played a lot of minutes. He had a lot of contact. Um, and he, you know, he, he led that defensive mentality as well. So uh, Joe's been a great influence. He's worked really closely with Testy, uh, Zach Test on the attack. You know, those guys are in each other's pocket and uh, they've been a huge part of the success. You know, you talked about the growth that you've had over the last two years. And, you know, I think that that's something that you can see in terms of the systems that you play and, and the improved accuracy from um, year um, one to year two but probably the you know the biggest change was in the scrum and the addition of Paddy Ryan now I'm not sure I've seen someone enjoy a rugby season as much as Paddy Ryan seemed to seem to enjoy it I mean he was like he was constantly having fun on the field but he seemed you know he he was a niggler right he's a guy that brought a bit of attitude can you talk a little bit about about what 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 he brought to the table yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a hell of a character. So we've, we've absolutely loved having uh, Paddy on board, you know. He, he, he's another guy that, you know, this, this league is growing and it's really interesting uh, to see um, people take an interest in what we're doing uh, and want to get on board. And, you know, Paddy had come out of, uh, you know, being in the Waratah system for something like 10 years, playing, playing for Australia. Uh, and it, it's incredible when someone like that looks for a new challenge, but they're there to get stuck in and they mean business when they come. Uh, and that's what Paddy was like from the start. Um, and as, as you said, he, he enjoyed every aspect. He enjoyed a bit of niggle. He, he enjoyed it all. But he, he wanted to, again, bring it, we set out to bring a new identity. Uh, you know, we had our pants pulled down uh, in season one. We started uh, against Seattle away. We gave away three penalty tries. Didn't have a chance in that game. We got to the semi-final against them, you know, winning, doing pretty well, and the scrums went against us again. Now, as much as the, the young fellas had developed uh, throughout the course of the year, we needed, we needed to recruit, like we talked about at the start. If we wanted to play a certain way, we need to recruit around that. Uh, and Paddy came in, again, worked really closely uh, with Scott Murray and just galvanised that group. And you saw the influence on the young fellas, Otti Pifaletti, Nathan Sylvia, Aaron Mitchell, guys that are going to be the future of San Diego Legion and, and sort of carry on that legacy. You know, you talked about how there's interest from overseas and, you know, Rooney um, made a splash in season two with Ben Foden and now they've made a splash like signing Bastaro and the Legion said, we'll see your Bastaro and we'll raise you a Marnonu. I mean, that must have been a pretty, um, you, you know, I'm not sure how that came about. If someone came to you and say, hey, would you like to have Marnonu on the team? I mean, this is a guy, he's, he's in his, you know, he's 37, but this is a guy that almost made the New Zealand squad. He's not past his prime. Bringing someone like that to Major League Rugby is huge. How are you going to take, like, like, how do you think about how you leverage Marnonu when you come into season three? Well, 
Yeah, like like you said, uh, Ma, you know, he's 37, but uh, some people are just different humans. Like last year for the Blues, he turned it on. He nearly got in the World Cup squad. He was phenomenal. So, listen, Mark can bring so many things to, to San Diego. Uh, we're talking on the field, off the field. Same as uh, Matthew going to, to New York and Ben Foden's influence. You're going to see Digby Ione and um, Rene Ranger and a host of big names around the league. Uh, so... There's so many different aspects to it. Obviously, they're going to raise um, the visibility and the credibility of the league. Um, they're going to get more people interested. Uh, there's sponsorship opportunities and all the rest of it. What I'm concerned about is uh, Mars Rugby IQ. Uh, listen, a guy that's got over 100 caps for the All Blacks, won the World Cup twice. You know, what, what can't we learn off him? We can't wait to uh, get him into San Diego with the lads. Um, Obviously, on the field, you know, he, he's a great carrier, a, ball line, a game line carrier, which, uh, which we love. Uh, but he's a run-pass kick threat. He's got great distribution skills. He can really see the kick in space and play in behind as well. And so he's really going to manipulate the defence and uh, create a lot of space for, for everyone around him. And then just culturally, you know to pick his brain on being part of that New Zealand all-black setup, I mean, it's absolutely priceless, you know. So we've got a lot to learn. He's, he's excited to get started and um, we're excited to see what he can bring to the squad. Yeah, you, you talked about how Joe Peterson um, seems to see things a play or two ahead and have all that time. Now you've got someone else that is going to be able to see the game that way and it gives you two playmakers in the back line. So if you're a Mikey Teo or Ryan Madius, you should probably expect the ball at any time and when you get it, you're probably going to have some space. So it's going, to, it's going to be a defensive challenge for some of those guys. And of course, you have JP Duplessis, who was phenomenal in, that, in, 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 in the season last year, one of the best players in the league. And again, another really rounded player. You can have a pretty good physical midfield. Yeah, it's, it's physical uh, and they can shift the ball as well. Yep. Um, and there's going to be some deception in there, some great playmakers, great communicators. Uh, so it's going to give us a lot of options. And, uh, you know, we're building the depth now as well. I think... Uh, Coming into a long season, uh, you know, we've got 10, great, 10 games straight up before we have a break. So you're going to see, there's going to, you're going to need to have a bit of rotation this year. You're going to have to coax the squad through. Um, so, yeah, I think we've got a nice blend. We've got a nice mix in there. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're excited to get this group together and to, to, to start firing. So let's talk about um, 2020. You know, again, you're sort of, you're one of these warm weather teams, which means you get you know, early on, you get a lot of home games, but actually your second game is in Vegas as part of the Vegas weekend, which is going to be, you know, a big deal for Major League Rugby. You're playing the uh, newly rebranded Colorado um, uh, Raptors. Talk a little bit about what it's going to be like going to Vegas and talk a little bit about how you're going to manage this season a little bit differently and what you learned from last season. Yeah, well, Vegas, we just, take as a, we just take as an away game, as we did last year. We got stronger the more we went on the road. Uh, we only lost one game on the road with the last play of the game. So we love that challenge. We love spending time together. So um, that's no different, really. We just, we just take it as an, another road game for us. But it's really great for our support to, to maybe get another uh, great trip and, again, uh, grow the, the eyes on the league. So we're really excited to get behind that opportunity uh, and uh, get in front of a new fan base out there in Vegas. Um, and then, yeah, lessons from, lessons from last year. As I said, I think a lot of it's in, uh, for us is going to be in how we finish games, in how we uh, build the depth of the squad. Uh, and those guys coming, coming on to finish games, I think is a huge area for us to, to, to work on. Yeah, in 2020, there's a conference system. You're obviously in the strongest conference, but you you get to play some of the expansion teams. What do you think is going to be different in Major League Rugby in the third season? You know, there's more teams, there's conferences, there's more players coming in. In terms of how the game is going to develop, what do you think um, you know, fans should look out for on the field? Well, I think the, the league from season one to two, the standard was barely recognisable, you know, um, and that's across the board. Obviously, one thing we mentioned was the set piece, the scrums were a class apart from season one. I think everyone two. went out and got a foreign tight head. It seems to be like it was one yeah, of those yeah. things where yeah. everyone did, right? You know, obviously Seattle had a lot of dominance there. Um, and so that laid the foundation that, that you know, you, you have to have that to compete. I think uh, you're going to see 
there's some there's some good halfbacks coming into the league. I think uh, with with that being said, the the kicking game is going to improve. Um, I think us and Seattle actually kicked the most uh, last season, and we got to the final. Uh, so people are going to catch on to that. And uh, if that improves, you're going to have to improve your your, your backfield and your aerial work as well. Um, so I think you know there's clear ways that we 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 predict uh, the league is going to grow in strength when we look at what's coming in. And uh, obviously we've got to plan around that um, and uh, and understand that the league's just going to keep evolving every year. And, and last question is as, as a you know uh, there's been a lot of turnover in. In, in particular in coaches actually in in your conference um a lot of a lot of new coaches coming in there's there's players coming and going is that something that that, that you as the legion track where you're looking at players or is it sort of like once we get into january and there's preseason and the league starts that's when you really start looking at your you know sort of um team specific preparation yeah we track it we we, we track what every team's doing obviously you know we keep keep an eye on uh, what's going on around the league it's you know it's very interesting to see and uh, you know good, good luck to all the other teams you know everyone's evolving everyone's getting better there's no doubt it's going to be a, a massive raising standard um this season but ultimately you know Pete, we're focused we're focused on what we're doing uh, we have a clear plan uh, that we we believe fully is going to drive us uh, towards success uh, this season um, so for us now, it's focusing on that. Then obviously through preseason, um, we'll get to probably learn a little bit more about the other teams and their style of play. You know, as much as you see individuals, uh, it's going to be about how they put that together. So uh, yeah, we're <laughs> we're really excited, as excited as anyone else to see the other teams, of course, and how they're developing. Uh, but for the moment, we're, we're going to be focusing on have, having a great season together, preseason together. Well, Rob, thank you so much for your for your time. I really appreciate it. I I, I very much enjoyed watching your team develop in um in 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 season two i thought you and your coaching staff did a did a great job you didn't get the bounce of the ball at the end but um you know obviously um, one of the top teams in the league and I'm, I'm sure you'll be there again so good luck thanks pete yeah and thanks for the support as always and uh, yeah really excited to get going for season three there you have it rob hoadley pete steinberg and pete no surprise i think one of the most endearing things about rob hoadley is his modest you know approach to you know what you and I wax lyrical about you know his abilities as a coach and what he's able to do but yet he stays very grounded and I think that reflects onto his playing roster down there in San Diego well I think Rob you know like all good coaches understands that you know you can't control the winning but you can control the performance but you know this is a team that is investing heavily in 2020 um you know um San Diego is 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 you know obviously you know, one of the top teams, I mean, I think if, if they and Seattle played each other 10 times, they would probably win five each from last year. I mean, I think this is a big, big test for um, Rob coming into 2020 because they're investing heavily. They're bringing, bringing in some big guns. And, you know, the ownership down there, I think, is going to be expecting a championship. Nothing less. I mean, I'm sure that hurt. I vividly remember when we did the final in 2018, catching up with some of the ownership for San Diego and we were standing behind the goalpost before the game and uh, the little brains trust was there and Rob Hoadley was there. And one of them looks at him and goes, why are we not here? Like, why isn't this us? You know, we're hosting this thing. We should be playing in it. And it was a, it was a pretty unnerving kind of question. And I'm sure, you know, one Rob doesn't mind answering, and, and he answered it in 2019. He took him to the final, but now the pressure's on to win it, right? You've gone, improved from year one to year two. You hosted the final. You, you lost in a bit of a heartbreaker at the end of the game there to Seattle. And now the, the real challenge for Rob and, and the whole San Diego side is how do we win this thing now? Yeah, and, and you know, they've, they've made a statement of intent, right? So they came out and they signed, you know, Probably, um, with all due respect to the signings that Rooney have done, um, the biggest name so far in Major League Rugby in Marnotta. I mean, he comes in and he's 37. And, and yes, that's, that's old. But this is a guy that um, played amazing Super Rugby last year and came pretty close to making the World Cup squad for New Zealand this year. So having someone like him and partnering up with JP Duplessis gives you physicality in the midfield, but it also gives you another player that, brings all the skills to be a playmaker and allows you to 
play a wider game. It allows you to play a more complex game. And it's going to be amazing to watch those um, uh, Joe Peterson and Manonu play together. And if I'm sort of Mikey Teo or Ryan Mattias, um, I'm looking at that, these guys, and I'm like, I should expect to get the ball in some space. I think Mikey Teo is going to have an amazing year if these guys stay fresh. Oh, absolutely. And here's, here's a question for you as well. We should go to 2020. And just off the back of that signing, um, I agree with you. I think it's the biggest signing. There's some people who say, you know, Foden and Bastaro, and again, great players, great signings, but Nonu dominated Southern Hemisphere rugby uh, at super rugby level, rugby championship level for New Zealand, then went to Europe and dominated the European rugby for Toulon, and then went back and did it again for the Blues, like you said. I think he just ticks a few more boxes than uh, Fodes and, and Bastereau in that one. Um, but here's a question for you for 2020. As you look at that back line, it starts to jam up, and, there, and we'll go through some of the signings in a minute. What do you do with a guy like Dylan Audsley, who is coming off an injury, very, very talented young guy, was in the squad with Gary Gold for the Eagles, um, great St. Mary's product from up the coast there with uh, OB, but what does he do? Do you think he finds a home perhaps on the wing in this side or a utility off the bench? Well, I think that, um, and, and Rob talked about this a little bit um, in my discussion with him, you know, there's, they go 10 straight weeks before they have their one buy, I think you're going to see a lot more rotation. You know, they're, um, they're, they're bringing in Luke Burton, right? So former Australia U20 and Western Force fly half, because they know Joe Peterson at 35 isn't going to be able to play all those games. I don't think Marnono is playing all those games. So I think there's opportunities for some of these young guys to really be able to step up and play. Um, I think, though, it's, um, you know, then, you know, Dylan Lonsley isn't going to be a starter on this team, but he's going to get to play next to Marnono in some, ga- in some games, and I think he'll be a better player because of that. Yeah, I agree. And they have gone quite deep. You remember Ty Nosa, who stepped in when Peterson picked up that knockdown in uh, New Orleans. He played quite well and, and, and held that side together. Will Holder came back late, and there's some depth there. Perhaps even moving Will more into a midfield role uh, as an extra ball player at 12 or 13 off the bench. But scrum half, you've got Nate Augsburger, who we uh, all know quite well. But Dev Ferris is one of their other signings. Life West product up there. We um, get our first look at him in, in pro, in uh, sorry, Major League Rugby. We saw him in pro rugby uh, for San Francisco. Uh, but he comes down, but not much depth at scrum half there. Only two well, they years. lost Nick Boyer, right? So Nick, Nick, Nick Boyer's gone. And Nick also, you know, held down the wing. Um, they don't have a lot of um, backup at scrum half. I mean, I think, um, you know, someone like Tyanosa could step in at scrum half as well. Maybe, maybe that's, that's the plan. But, you know, everywhere else in that back line, they've got strong players. And, and you know, they're, they're ready, I think, for a step up. Um, but I think you're right. I think it's going to be interesting. You know, one of the challenges that we have, and I've, you know, one of the players that I think has the, you know, the highest potential on the Legion is a player like Devon Shaw. But you've got to keep wondering how Devon's going to develop because he's not going to play that much, right? I mean, he got injured. He actually played quite a lot to start and got injured, but then it's hard to get back in. You know, they've got, um, you know, Sam Wuching and, and Vera Malua. Um, you know, they, they signed David Tamalau. I mean, they've got a bunch of players in the back row that means that for some of these young players, whether it's an orderly or a Shaw, it's going to be a struggle for them to get the, the, the minutes that they probably need to really develop. Yeah, that, that'll be an interesting juggling act. You talked about Tamalau. He signs on the heels of the retirement of Dominic Day. Um, that was announced that he will not be linking up with the San Diego Legion. So quick little swap there for Tamalau and Day. Um, you got Gaffney at eight as well, who played a little bit of there. But you'd say that would be Tamalau's position to lose. Vera Malua and Wuching look like they have the flanks all locked up. Uh, you've got the two Fijian wingers as well. Toto Vassal, we didn't see a lot of Toto Vassal in 2019, but when we did see him, I was very yeah. impressed. But also Patterson comes over from the uh, Fijian Warriors side. Young guy, hasn't had a lot of experience on the international scene. I think he played some U20s for Fiji, but he comes over and he's an impressive looking specimen. I don't know if you had a chance to to take a look at him, but he is a big, big boy and could be a handful on that wing. And we've seen exactly, you know, the impact that the Fijian players have had on Major League Rugby already. So, again, another one 
at just 21 years of age, 6'3", just on 100 kilos, he will be a handful on that wing. I mean, I think, I think there's the biggest signing or, or, or the signing with the biggest question mark for the team is, gonna, is Chris Eves. So, you know, New Zealand, um, Maida Ten has spent some time with the Hurricanes. Um, he, I think he's their replacement for Paddy Ryan, but he's not a replacement for Paddy Ryan. Right? I mean, he's, he doesn't come in as, as, as a seasoned um, super rugby veteran. He's, he's, he's had some kind of like cups of coffee, as they would say. It's going to be interesting to see how, how he does. And then, you know, we talked about the line out and how that was a bit of a challenge. So picking up Ben Mitchell from Austin, who's a great line out operator. Um, but again, you know, you're looking at it and you're saying, well, you know, who's in the second row for this team? You know, maybe Lou Stanfield, again, probably isn't able to play every game in, in the schedules that they have, um, especially, you know, in the Western Conference where the teams are, are, you know, are harder. I think probably three or four games in to the season, teams can start making decisions about where they might be able to rest players because I think there's going to be more diversity in, in level of play um, than maybe there has been in the last couple of years. Um, with uh, some of these expansion teams and some teams going through some significant changes. But it's going to be uh, that pack. That pack's going to be really interesting without Paddy Ryan. Yeah, we'll be. I'm loving the wildlife in the background too, Pete. Uh, um, I'm, I'm here little, just to, just to give it a taste of Hawaii. But uh, a lot of youngsters in that front row that they're going to look towards in Sylvia and Mitchell, who Paddy Ryan talked about both those guys as young Pretty green, but they have another year under their belt now. Uh, Sione Tuihalamark as well. Peter Malcolm comes back from injury, uh, along with Ben Mitchell. They shift from Austin to San Diego. So it'll be interesting to see how much time Malcolm can get. Dean Muir kind of had that hooker position locked down for the Legion. He returns as well. So the battle at number two between Muir and Malcolm will be a good one as well. And again, for Rob Hoadley, it's a great problem to have. Have that depth there and that competition in the squad will only make them better going forward Pete yeah I think I mean that's right I mean I, I know I heard great things from um, uh, about Nate Silver um, you know last year I, look, they've got they've got strength right and they've got strength and depth but we have to recognize that in what if there's one thing that Major League Rugby has, has shown so far in the first two seasons is you know to win a championship you need a great scrum and I don't know that they're going to have a great scrum yet yeah, that's an interesting challenge, isn't it? Because it's going to go from Paddy Ryan, who really, like you said, it was a total 180 from you and I did that game, Seattle-San Diego, the three penalty tries. I mean, it was just super talented, but they just couldn't handle the set piece to being, wow, this is the best set piece in the league now. So, But I think everyone takes a lot from that year. A lot of those guys, and, and it's not going to be Paddy Ryan, you're not going to replace Paddy Ryan, but his influence should carry over. And as long as they can keep that pretty solid, you can see the signings they've made, in particular in the in the back line, uh, indicate they're probably going to be a bit more of an attacking team in, in 2020 than they were in 2019. And hope the defence and the structures that were put in place will carry over as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 ex you know, this is going to be a team. I think the like, as we've said, um, I, ex <coughs> excuse me, I expect them to be in the top four. I think they've got a quality coaching staff, not just Rob Hoadley, um, but with Scott Murray and Zach Test. Um, but they're in a very, very competitive division, um, and you know, like every team at the start of the season, they have question marks coming in. I think that'll be a, um, a, a, it'll be, it'll be interesting to watch them evolve and see how they take on some of these um, teams that are going to be very different, like um, Utah and um, Colorado um, next year. Yep, I agree. And, uh, you know, another thing to watch is, is the evolution of that fan base too. I mean, crowds at Torero Stadium started pretty modest. By the end, they were, they were packing that place out. And San Diego is a, a good city for sports that needs a sports team to get behind. The Chargers obviously up in LA now, the Padres downtown. There's a lot of people in San Diego who want professional sport and uh, maybe the Legion are going to give it to them because the crowds definitely had bulked up there by the back end of 2019. And from all reports, ticket sales doing quite well in terms it's, of uh, you know, 2020. It's a, it's, it, it's, it's a great stadium for Major League Rugby. You know, it's 6,000. Um, you know, I think that uh, by the end, 
they were you know regularly getting four plus so you know the final they did a great job um i think i think that's one of the things they can really really build on um is is building that fan base but you know having a winning team brings people in right and so um i think the start for them is going to be really important of course they start one of their um early games um in vegas playing colorado raptors and that is their home game so and, and you know, in that great Vegas weekend where we've got, you know, four major league rugby games all going on the same weekend. It's, uh, um, it's going to be a, a really great weekend, but it's, uh, um, it'll be a test, I think, for all of those teams flying into Vegas. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Pete, let's go around the grounds now, my friend, and take a look at some of the action that we've had going on in Major League Rugby since the last show. Uh, some overall MLR news. Uh, Old Glory formed a partnership with Capital Rugby Union, just trying to entrench themselves into the local scene there. Great move from Old Glory. I've actually been pretty impressed with some of the stuff they've been putting out in these last couple of weeks as they build to their first season. And, of course, Rugby Atlanta. They've partnered up with Atlanta Youth Rugby. And the more and more I see this from Major League Rugby teams, the happier I get because uh, these young kids signing up for rugby, they need role models. They need a, a place to want to play and want to come back to the game. I think we've talked ad nauseum on air and off air about the fact that there is a talent drain in rugby once kids leave high school. I mean, just yesterday I was talking to a young guy who played high school rugby in California. I said, why'd you stop? And he goes, I just didn't want to play anymore. You know, there's nowhere really to play anymore. So I just stopped playing. And so this is two good partnerships I like. I'll get your thoughts real quickly on those two, Old Glory and uh, Rugby Atlanta signing those agreements. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a um, how teams build their depth is going to be really interesting. We talked about this in San Diego. Where do some of these players that are good enough to make your squad but not good enough to play going to develop? And I think um, some of these partnerships, like with the uh, um, you know the, the um, Capital uh, 15 team that's been down there for the last few years, is a great way to be able to continue their development while they train in a professional environment. Absolutely. All right, let's talk a little bit of signings now, Pete. There's been quite a few uh, that have come out. And let's go around the teams. Austin, they announced a signing of Corey Jones, Roderick Waters, and Skylar Adams. They'll be playing for the Herd at Old Glory. Eamon Matthews, Mitchell McCarthy, Utah, Blake Ohio, Tyler Fisher, and Rob Povey was just a recent one. Jack Chrisman, he's third team in three years, so... Whoever his real estate agent agent is, is doing quite well. And then the big one that stood out to me and uh, making the move quite young in his career was Ross Neal, who leaves the Wasps and goes to the Seattle Seawolves. Uh, he will add a lot to that back three out there. Uh, that was a big, big signing. What are your thoughts on those signings? Anyone there who stands out for you, mate? Well, I mean, I think that it's interesting to see, you know, Austin's been this really, really interesting team. Um, you know, they're... All of their announcements primarily are like US-based players. They've, they've selected Corey Jones, who's a player that's kind of been on the periphery of the uh, um, US Sevens program. I think he's made, maybe toured with the Falcons a couple of times, but um, a guy that played uh, um, Division One SEC football at Arkansas um, mm-hmm. while also playing, playing rugby. And so I think Corey Jones is, a, um, is an exciting signing. I mean, I, I actually think of all the news I've seen so far, probably the biggest of any of the teams is actually a re-signing and that's Ben Tarr re-signing with Nola. I mean, I think there was some question about whether Ben Tarr was going to play again, but um, I think you can make a pretty good argument that um, Nola's downturn um, happened about the same time that Ben, same time that Ben Tarr got injured. Um, they weren't able to replace him at Tighthead. I mean, if you remember, they brought in um, a guy from Wales, a 35-year-old at the end of the season to try and do it. But having Ben Tarr back for Nola, I think changes the way they look as a team. Um, and so it's not a new signing, but it's a re-signing. And I think it's that, again, those tight head props, you know, it, uh, you want to hold on to those guys, the ones of the quality that can really help your scrum go forward. Bentar's one of those. Yeah, happy to see Bentar back. What a, what a champion of a bloke he is. And we saw a huge difference when he was out of the side. Dino Waldron, that we talked about also down there as well. So adding to some of the depth. But, uh, yeah, those re-signings, Nakai Penny, Mike Shepard, John Hayden, all come back up at Seattle. Not surprised. It's probably a pretty easy job as the two-time defending champs. The hard thing is probably, as we see in most professional sports, 
the guys want to obviously get paid more. You win back-to-back championships, they're going to want more money to come back. So the team up there have done a great job at keeping that squad together and keeping them all happy. And then uh, Phil Hansen, who got, I, I believe he had one, maybe two games for Austin. He comes back as well. So some good re-signings. You know, one thing with the, that we should mention is that I think that 10 of the 12 teams actually started their preseason. You know, we, when, we, um, when I talked to Rob on Tuesday, that was their second day. You know, we saw some of the stuff Old Glory put, put out. I mean, teams are, are hitting the ground running. And the interesting thing is that Seattle is starting um, the, uh, the latest of any, any team. Now, they're also one of the oldest teams in the league, so you can say it makes, it makes sense. But the way that Western Conference is going to be, I think you need to start strong. And it's going to be interesting to see what they do when they make those choices. To, to start late, you know, we'll find out about four or five games in um, whether that was a good choice by the uh, by the Seawolves. Yep, that'll be. Uh, they're looking fit though. I saw Brad Tucker, my uh, my man crush, Brad, up there at the Seahawks game on uh, it was Monday night. So he's looking fit, uh, sporting his Movember very rusty orange looking moustache. So <laughs> looking great for twenty twenty. So they'll be they'll be doing some work. They'll be ready to go and. I think after two years going back-to-back champs, they probably have earned a little bit of time off to recharge the batteries, especially with a more uh, senior squad. I'm not going to call them old like you did, Pete, because I have to go up there and I'm not going to... I think I called them mature. Did I say old? I thought I I meant to say mature. Uh, You may have. I've got to admit, I I kind of shut you out. It's funny. This is the third year in a row they've had the shortest camp. And, uh, well... It hasn't worked out so bad for them. Yeah, I'm sure looking at some of the uh, the fitness that they've started, I'm sure some of the players wouldn't mind going on a short camp as well. Nothing uh, worse than the first day of preseason, Pete, when they line you up and they're like, all right, let's see how bad this got while you were gone. And usually it's pretty bad. <laughs> all right, Pete, I'm not going to hold you much longer. We know the sun is going down and, uh, and you embrace your inner Elvis Presley, the king. He loved Hawaii. Get out there with a tall blue drink and a, an acoustic guitar and go sing a lovely song to your wife, Yvonne, and daughter Penelope and enjoy Hawaii, my friend. I will catch you next time. Any thoughts? Where can the fan find us? What do they need to do? How do they get the podcast? Oh, yeah. Help us, help us grow the game, right? So wherever you get your podcast, whether it's Google Play, iTunes, um, Stitcher, wherever it is, leave a review. Um, the more reviews that are left, the easier it is find this the more that we can spread the word about major league so um, we appreciate all of our fans and uh, you can always um, catch us on twitter always wanting to have some discussions on twitter sometimes they're interesting sometimes aaron reaches out to me and says what are you talking about not on twitter he does that <laughs> in other modes but um always always wanting to talk and, and you know we're we're getting close right so it's december Right. It, very soon the holidays will be over and then we'll be in a few weeks to go before the start of Major League Rugby. And I think we're all very, very excited about season three. We certainly are. It'll be the Seattle Seawolves, the champions on the next shows. We'll jump into them. For Aaron Castro, our producer, for Pete Steinberg, the most talented British American in the world, and myself, Dan Power. This has been the MLR kickoff. Till next time.